0: Welcome to the 12th of December edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, and with kind permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis, and the team for this week's edition comprises Nigel Green as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin, with help from Joe Gwynne and Jean Burbeck. And our readers today are Catherine. Hello. Phil. Hello. And Jane. Hello. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include a list of useful telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, etc., the headline stories, general news stories, some sport, thought for the week, sunset and sunrise times and the birthdays. Obituaries are now at the end of the recording. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch and we can add it to the birthday file. If you have any comments or problems, do get in touch. Our telephone number is 01905 767 766. Alternatively, put a note in your wallet. Listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources. As from now, you'll only receive two weeks of recordings. If neither of these are returned, you'll not receive further recordings. If you're unwell or have a problem, please ring us. That's 01905 767 and leave a message. As I'm sure you know, all our recordings are now available as podcasts via the Worcester Talking News website. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a do- donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. And whilst on that subject, I'd like to say a big thank you to Jean Edwards for her recent donation. So let's start this week with the telephone numbers, which Phil is going
1: to supply. Indeed. Police Non-Emergency Number is 101. Crime Stoppers is 0800 Worcester Hub, for Council Matters, 01905 765 765. Worcester Live, which has details of what's on at the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and Henry Sandon Hall, is 01905 Malvern Theatres can be found on 01684 89 The Samaritans is now a free phone number and it's 116123. And here at Colin Charts House, as Pippa pointed out earlier, we are 01905
0: Thank you. Well, I'm sure you're all aware that it is now officially panto season in the theatre world. And I expect you will have had quite a few prompts already this month as to what's on and where. But here's a quick resume, just in case you've missed any salient details. Aladdin flies into Malvern Theatre from Thursday, the twelfth of December, through to Sunday, January the fifth. Tickets are on sale at the box office. Telephone number oh one six eight four eight nine two two seven seven. Or online at malvern theatrescouk theatres Here in Worcester at the Swan Theatre, it's the turn of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Tickets are priced from thirteen ninety five to seventeen ninety five, and the show runs till January the fifth. There is an audio description to accompany the two p.m. matinee performance on the twenty eighth of December. For more information on this and to book tickets, contact the box office on 01905 611 427. Something else with a the Christmas theme is taking place at Huntingdon Hall on Thursday the 19th of December at 7.30pm. Charles Dickens' classic Yuletide story, A Christmas Carol, is being performed that evening by Nick Wilkes to buy tickets it's 611427 again if classical music is your thing then you might want to note that Handel's Messiah is being performed in Malvern Priory on Tuesday the 17th of December at 7:30 p.m. The English Symphony Orchestra joins up with Academia Musica Choir under the baton of Kenneth Woods Tickets are available from eventbrite.co.uk And finally, if you need a bit of cheering up in the new year, you may fancy heading off to the Huntington Hall for an evening with the Laugh Out Loud Comedy Club, presenting live stand-up from 7.30pm. Advance tickets for this are £18.50 or £23 on the door. For more information, 01905 611 427. Well, that's a quick round up of what's on and we'll now move on to the main headlines uh, for this week, which Catherine will read and she will then start with the first headline story after that. Uh, Thank you, Pippa.
2: So Friday, December the 6th, the headline was Hospital Could Get Another Car Park. Saturday, December the 7th, Shocking Images of Drugs War Violence. Monday, December the 9th, Begging Ban for Homeless Man. Tuesday, December the 10th, dramatic scenes as two burglars caught. Wednesday, December the 11th, station won't open until the new year. And Thursday, December the 12th, in in quotation marks, vote for me. So here is the headline story for last Friday, December the 6th. Hospital could get another car park. Talks are taking place between NHS bosses and a a a landowner on creating an extra car parking site for Worcestershire Royal Hospital, a councillor says. Councillor Andy Roberts, who represents Warndon, said the County Council has facilitated talks between Worcestershire Acute Hospitals Trust and the landowner, which we understand is Barclay Estates. The councillor said he was first engaged in the process, which up until now has been kept quiet, around three months ago, adding, I'm hoping they're reaching fruition now. It's something that's being worked on to expand the capacity of the hospital car park. Councillor Roberts said it's hoped any expansion would alleviate congestion on nearby streets that are often used as overspill by hospital staff and those who work at the adjoining Kings Court business park. In fact, he said he's had several reports from people who claim that upon starting work at the offices in the business park, they were told there's no parking capacity left, but don't worry, you can park outside neighbouring houses. He claims that only 75% of the needed parking places were built as part of a green restriction during the planning process for the business park. It's all terribly frustrating, he added, but I do appreciate it's not just hospital staff causing parking issues in Warnedon villages. Resident Mike O'Sullivan, a member of the parish's Neighbourhood Plan steering group, said parking restrictions need to be introduced on affected roads, including Topham, Hoskins and Fells Avenues. Worcester News reported on traffic issues recently on the hospital island. That's caused by people constantly crossing the road at the lights to get back to their cars, he added. Worcestershire County Council's Highways Department opened a public consultation in relation to restricting parking times in and around Topham Avenue earlier this year. However, it only received 19 formal approvals, so scrapped the idea in July. The Council's proposal was to prohibit on-street parking for one hour between 11am and midday on weekdays, which would be delineated by a single yellow line where there's no restriction. Some residents had been complaining about the problems for years and claimed at the time the consultation process was a confusing mess or they didn't receive any information at all. If people are being charged to park, they won't bother, said Mr O'Sullivan, in relation to the restriction. Councillor Roberts said that people will just move off and park on another street if restrictions are introduced, and so the hospital needs another car park. He said that if an agreement can be made between the hospital and landowner, a new car park would still have to go through the usual planning procedures, and so would still be some way off being brought in. A Worcestershire County Council spokesman said, We're supportive of efforts to improve parking at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. A spokesman for Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust, based at the Business Park, said... We've allocated parking for staff at both Kings Court 1 and Kings Court 2, plus a car park to the rear of the Elgar unit. We've also subsidised the cost for staff using the Six Ways Park and Ride, enabling all staff based at Kings Court to use the Park and Ride service free of charge. Nobody from Worcestershire Acute Hospitals Trust, which runs the hospital, was available for comment before we went to print.
1: Now, Saturday, December 7th, when the headline was Shocking Images of Drugs War Violence. Shocking images show a child cowering in fear as a hooded dealer shoots a pistol at a drug rival's house in broad daylight. The pictures, taken by CCTV, were shown to the jury during a trial at Worcester Crown Court. One of the photos shows Tommy Lee Jauncey, dressed all in black, shooting at the house of Luke Bridger in Carlisle Road, Ronkswood, Worcester, as a child clings to a gate, ducking down when he sees the gun. Though an imitation firearm was used, the orange pistol had been painted black to make it look like a real gun, something Jauncey and others had been warned not to do by the owner of the city gun shop where it was purchased. Seconds later, Jauncey's accomplice, Scott Futrell, also hooded, can be seen levelling a crossbow at the front of the same house, shooting a bolt at the doorframe during the attack, which took place on August thirtieth, two 2017. The prosecution say it was part of a turf war in Worcester. Jauncey, 23, previously of St George's Lane, Worcester, has already admitted conspiracy to supply heroin and crack cocaine – being concerned in the supply of cannabis, conspiracy to cause actual bodily harm to Luke Bridger and pr- possession of a crossbow and a blank firing pistol in a public place. Futural 28th of Chedworth Drive, Warndon, Worcester has admitted conspiracy to cause ABH to Mr Bridger and possession of a crossbow in a public place. The men were driven to the scene of the attack by Jake Cox, 28 of Mill Street, Worcester, in his Audi A3. Cox has already admitted both drugs conspiracies and the conspiracy to assault Mr Bridger. The trial is of Askar Kalfi, 35, previously of Townley Gardens, Aston, Birmingham, and Kane Ingram, 21, of Sadler's Walk, Worcester. Both defendants have already admitted both drugs conspiracies but deny they were involved in the plan to assault Mr Bridger. It is the prosecution case that Calfee knew not only of the attack on Mr Bridger, but coordinated it because he considered Mr Bridger to be a rival dealer who had tried to recruit his lieutenants. Calfee has been described as the boss and the main beneficiary of the violence, with a large financial interest to protect. Stephen Bailey, prosecuting, also said that Ingram was in Durrant and son in Mealcheap Street Worcester when the blank-firing pistol was bought on the day of the attack, arguing that this was further evidence of his involvement in the conspiracy to harm Mr Bridger. He has said that just because Ingram and Calfey were not present at the attacks does not mean that they were not part of the conspiracy. Yesterday, Mr Bailey and the officer in the case, Detective Constable Verity Farr, took the jury through the phone records, which shows contact between Calfee, Ingram, Jauncey, Futrell and Cox before and after the attacks carried out in Chedworth Drive and Carlisle Road. The jury heard that Calfee was on the phone to Jauncey within 13 minutes of his discharging the blank firing pistol in Carlisle Road. The shot fired at around 5.38pm. Ingram was in the gun shop with Futrell and Jauncey at around 3.21 when the gun was bought. At 3.35, Ingram called Calfee and spoke for around two and a half minutes. Most of the contact on the schedule showed phone contact, either calls or texts, between Calfee and Ingram. The factory was rented on Calfee's behalf by Worcester taxi driver Shaka Hussein. Various apartments were rented there between June 18th and September 10, 2017. One of Kalfi's mobile phones was used to advertise and take drugs orders, the other to run his street dealers. It was a business where he had to stay light on his feet and ahead of detection, said Mr Bailey. In his opening, Mr Bailey said one of the defendants boasted of making a £1,000 a day dealing drugs. He said of Kalfi, he was the boss. He had the obvious interest in warding off a rival dealer.
3: This is Monday, December the 9th. Begging ban for homeless man. A homeless man and persistent offender has been made the subject of another criminal behaviour order, CBO, that bans him from begging. Benjamin Chrysler, aged 34, who sleeps rough in Worcester, had been expected to contest the CBO application when the case was heard at Worcester Magistrates Court. The CBO application was originally made following Chrysler's conviction in October for the use of threatening, abusive, insulting words or behaviour to cause harassment, alarm or distress, begging in a public place and violent disorder at a police station. After Chrysler of no fixed address was not produced from prison at the first hearing, the case was adjourned until Friday. At the start of the hearing, Chrysler was brought up from the cells to the dock as it emerged that, after being released in November, Chrysler had been recalled after alleged reoffending. Mark Johnson prosecuting told magistrates the application was no longer being contested as both parties, the Crown and Chrysler's defence team, had come to the conclusion on terms for a CBO that were considered appropriate. Mr Johnson said the order had to satisfy certain (laughs) criteria, including that the magistrates had evidence of the behaviour to warrant it being made, and that it would assist the subject in helping to prevent the behaviour in the future. Mr Johnson said an offence at St George's Catholic Church would be evidence of that alone, but there are a number of other examples that have been provided. In April 2016, Chrysler was given a two-year criminal behaviour order, a CBO, that banned him from a number of city locations, including Crowngate Shopping Centre and Broad Street. Mr Johnson said the order was only breached 12 times, saying that it was quite good for an order of this type, and that would show Chrysler would comply with another one. Mr Johnson added... This style of behaviour is having a very negative impact on the community and has been going on for a considerable period. Susie Duncan for Chrysler argued that there was a dispute over the length the order should be in place for, as she argued it should be two years and the Crown wanted it to be three years. Miss Duncan told magistrates he did quite well on the previous order, so I hope you would consider two years is sufficient. After a short deliberation, Andrew Greenway, chairman of the magistrate's bench, said, We are in agreement that the order as laid out, and in our view, as it should be, three years. As you have heard, you will be subject to a criminal behaviour order. You have had one before and you know how they work. The order, which is now in effect, contains five prohibitions. Not to use foul, abusive or insulting words or behaviour towards anyone – or in the hearing of anyone who would be caused, or likely to be caused, alarm, harassment, or distress. Not to beg or sit in any place for the purpose of begging, and or asking people for money. Not to refuse to leave a premises or area when asked by someone who has the authority to do so. Not to enter MacDonald's, Fourgate Street, and not to enter St George's Catholic Church, or be on any of its grounds.
0: And the headline for Tuesday, December the 10th, dramatic scenes as two burglars caught. There were dramatic scenes at a Worcester retail park yesterday after two suspected burglars tried to escape from police by fleeing to the roof of a shop. Officers had to close the Elgar retail park in Blackpole while they dealt with the incident at the Halford store there. Police had to talk the two suspected burglars into coming down from the roof of the Halfords at the popular Worcester Trading Estate. Shocked witnesses told the Worcester News that the two men, said to be wearing black clothes and hoodies, were running along the roof of the Halfords store at around 7am. A A police negotiator and firefighters using a ladder were able to bring them down at around 7.10am. In a statement, Police said they were called at around 4.15am to what was believed to be intruders inside one of the units. When officers arrived, the two men made their way onto the roof of the building. A police spokeswoman said there were concerns for the welfare of one of the men as he was threatening to harm himself. The spokeswoman for West Mercia Police said, As you can understand, our priority was ensuring that they both came down safely. Both were checked over by the Ambulance Service before being arrested and thankfully neither had suffered any injuries. A drone belonging to Hereford and Worcester Fire Rescue Service was involved in locating where the men were hiding. Inspector Paul Harvey said yesterday morning, As a precaution, the retail park was closed this morning whilst ourselves and our colleagues at Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue and West Midlands Ambulance Service worked together to bring the matter to a safe resolution. All cordons have now been lifted and two men are in custody. Police closed off the area and prevented the public from walking or driving under the nearby railway bridge. An ambulance was also called to the scene and police say a 32-year-old and a 42-year-old were arrested on suspicion of burglary.
2: And this is the story for Wednesday, December the 11th. A station won't open until the new year. The heavily delayed new multi-million pound Worcestershire Parkway railway station will not be open until the new year, the Worcester News can reveal. At a briefing in October, the media were told only the final touches were left to do to the station and that it was on course to open when network rail t- train timetable changes came into f- force, which will be this Sunday, December the 15th. And on Monday, a special showcase event for business representatives was held at the station that's based on the edge of the city. But a spokesperson for Worcestershire County Council, who stressed no official date, for opening was ever set, said Worcestershire County Council and its rail industry partners have agreed that the best time for the new station to become fully operational is early next year, and the opening date for this will be confirmed as soon as possible. There had been some further confusion as rail ticket sellers had shown tickets to be running next week. On Monday, Great Western Railway showed a train running at 9.10pm from the station to London Paddington on December 16th, while Network Rail also showed the same train running on its app. The Worcester News has also heard the Great Western Railway has been writing to customers who had pre-booked tickets for the station, apologising for the delay, saying, I'm sorry this will affect your plans to travel to or from the station this month. We are nearing the conclusion of the standard rigorous rail industry entry into service process, where all the new equipment and facilities are tested and commissioned. This process is complex, involving a wide range of stakeholders, and it will not be possible to achieve the final sign-off for the station to become operational until early in the new year. A Great Western Railway spokesman also sent us the same comment as Worcestershire County Council's, confirming the new date would be confirmed as soon as possible. When asked if he was disappointed by the latest delay, Councillor Ken Pollock, the County Council's Cabinet Member with Responsibility for Economy and Infrastructure, declined to comment on the delay, adding the station was completely finished but was just waiting approval. The much-delayed project was first revealed more than a decade ago. Planning permission was granted in August 2015, and work was expected to start in 2016. The building of the station finally started in early 2018, and the Council said the station would be built by early 2019, and then changed that to the summer of 2019. Once up and running, passengers will be able to use Great Western Railway trains at the station between Hereford, Worcester, Oxford and London and Paddington, as well as cross-country trains between Cardiff and Nottingham. Frustrated rail user Graham Taylor said, The County Council and Network Rail have got to get on and deliver this project as soon as possible. There's been unacceptable delays and it's about time this crucial piece of the rail network was in place. Lovely.
1: Now, Thursday's headline, not surprisingly, political vote for me, it cries out, and there are pictures of all five candidates in the Worcester City constituency. After weeks of hard-fought campaigning, today is the day when the city finally heads to the polls to choose who it wants to represent it in Parliament. Conservative candidate Robin Walker is hoping to be re-elected for a fourth time in nine years, but Labour's Lynn Denham, who is hoping to be the city's first female MP, is standing in his way. The bookies have placed Mr Walker as favourite at 10-1 on, with Mrs Denham second favourite at 11-2 against. Far behind is Liberal Democrat candidate Stephen Kearney at 50-1, to 1, and even further, Green Party candidate at 500-1. A poll by YouGov published on Wednesday found Mr Walker would likely get re-elected in Worcester with around 48% of the vote. As many have predicted, it will be a two-horse race in the city between Labour and Conservative. The poll also estimated Mrs Denham would receive around 40% of the vote. Brexit and whether the country leaves the European Union will no doubt play a major part in today's voting. More than half of Worcester voted to leave the EU in the 2016 referendum, with 57% voting to leave. Several high-profile politicians have visited the city on the campaign trail, with Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn arriving to support Mrs Denham on Monday and Chancellor Sajid Javid supporting Mr Walker during a visit to Worcester Bosch last month. Mr. Walker was first elected in 2010 with a majority of 2,982, defeating long standing Labour MP Mike Foster. He has been re elected twice since with a 5646 majority in 2015 and a 2,490 majority in 2017.
0: Thank you, Phil. That concludes the headline news stories for this week and we'll now move on to some general stories.
3: Jane, if you'd like to start us off. And this is one from Tuesday, December the 10th. Hostel defended after the death of Ian. Tributes have been paid to a man who died at a Worcester hospital for homeless people and his sister has praised the staff there for the way they treated him. Ian Burroughs, who was 48, was found dead at St Paul's in Tallow Hill, on November the 23rd. His death is not being treated as suspicious. Hostel staff found him during routine welfare checks, and paramedics and police were called to the scene at around ten fifteen PM. Sam Empson, Ian's stepsister, said she was disappointed that some people had used her brother's death to criticize the hostel on social media. Ian had received a lifetime ban from the hostel some years ago but the current leadership at St Paul's lifted it and took it upon themselves to help Ian, she said. The public must be reminded that St Paul's Hostel is a place of safety for adults with various degrees of mental health and addictions. The hostel is not a care or nursing home, but is a hostel where there is help and support if that person chooses to use the help put forward to them. Sam added... Like Ian, there are many residents who most often will not engage with this support and will continue with their lives as they choose to. I am more than happy with all the support by St Paul's and I am disappointed that particular people are using this person's sad and unfortunate ending to life to try to satisfy their own disgruntled ends. This will unfortunately not change the dreadful circumstances that happened on November 23rd. Staff at St Paul's said Ian will be remembered as a remarkably quiet, always polite and a fan of watching TV or sitting in the garden with a cigarette. Jeanette Sadler, trauma-informed practice manager at St Paul's, said, we believe people can change, so took the decision last year to allow Ian's sanctuary at St Paul's. Ian was well known to many in Worcester during the time that he slept rough or came to our night shelter. Ian had friends here and it is an immensely sad moment for them and his family. A spokesman for the hostel said, St Paul's have been helping the homeless in Worcestershire for 43 years. It is a fact single homeless people have multiple medical conditions, often battle with mental health and addictions. The Care Quality Commission does not oversee homeless hostels, so they are not delivering care, but support including accredited counselling. The hostel follows West Midlands' safeguarding policies and procedures. Jeanette added, We're trying to help single homeless people who have care and support needs but do not meet the thresholds for adult social care. The team do a brilliant job without all the resources they need and for a group of people whom many in society just walk by. The vitriolic words by a few individuals on social media really is beyond the pale. Ian's tragic death is not the first in our 43rd history, and, sadly, I doubt it will be the last. Ian will be buried on Friday, December the 20th, at Fladbury Crematorium.
0: And here's a story uh, particularly relevant to this time of year. Christmas trees will be collected and recycled to help a local charity. Fortis Property Care, a subsidiary of Fortis Living, which is part of Platform Housing Group, will take part in St Richard's Hospice's two-day event in January, where they will help collect and recycle hundreds of Christmas trees. The recycling initiative takes place on Friday, January 10th and Saturday, January 11th. Fortis Property Care will provide two chippers, one on loan from machinery supplier Global Sales and staff, on both days at the Countryside Centre, Worcester, with the trees being dropped off by volunteers. The campaign is now in its fourth year, with Fortis Living having been involved since the start. Those wishing to take part, register their tree online and make a donation to the hospice. They need to do that by Tuesday, January 7th. Supporters can also opt to gift aid their donation. This year, collections will take place in 13 postcodes throughout Worcestershire on Friday, January 10th. Last year, more than £16,000 was raised by supporters and 1,187 trees collected and chipped. Simon Harris, Service Manager Grounds Maintenance from Fortis Property Care, said supporting community initiatives such as the hospice's Christmas tree collection campaign is really important to us. It's fabulous to be involved in assisting the hospice to raise such vital funds. We'd encourage as many people as possible to join up and get involved. Jane Sargent, fundraiser at St Richard's Hospice, said, We're delighted and grateful to Fortis Living for its continued support. Our Christmas tree campaign has been hugely popular with our supporters and is growing each year. Over the last three years, more than £34,555 has been raised towards our free specialist care, which is incredible. To register your tree, visit strichards.org.uk slash christmas-tree-collection and that's all lowercase. case strichards.org.uk slash christmas-tree-collection
2: Right, and here's a story about festival success for uni graduates. Two University of Worcester graduates have been selected from strong competition nationwide to help develop new festivals in the city next year. Maria Magdalena Mineva has been appointed to the role of festivals graduate producer, working with the Arches Worcester Festivals team to stage four new festivals in the city. The four new festivals are Light Night... Atmosphere, Disrupting the Norm and the International Story Festival. Maria Magdalena graduated with a Master of Theatre from the University of Worcester in July and has recent experience of festival production from her producing role working (coughs) on the Try Me, Love Me Festival presented at the Midland Arts Centre in Birmingham and the University of Worcester this year. She said, I'm incredibly excited to join the festival team. It's an amazing opportunity for a young graduate to learn and grow professionally and personally in the arts industry, as well as bringing art and culture to our community here in Worcester. Thomas Brown has been awarded the Graduate Commission Opportunity for Light Night Worcester, the first of the new festivals taking place in 2020. His proposal, submitted in response to a call-out for an original creative digital or light performance or installation, wowed the selection panel with its ambition and clear portrayal of the festival theme, which is Connections. Thomas, who's only just graduated from the university with a Master of Art in Creative Media, said, When I saw the Light Night Worcester Commission opportunity, I knew I had to go for it, to have the chance to make more video art in such a beautiful city, with its people, for its people. It's the best first step into the arts industry I could have wished for. I'm looking forward to working with the festival's team to produce my next video installation. He has just a few weeks to produce his dual projection-based video in- video installation piece, which will be part of the Light Night Worcester programme on Thursday, January the 16th, from 5.30pm to 10.30pm. David Broster, head of the School of Arts at the University of Worcester, said, We're delighted to see that two of our graduates have been snapped up to work on this really exciting project for Worcester. I'm sure they will make a hugely positive contribution. We're really excited about the forthcoming festivals and the opportunities that this whole project will create for even more of our graduates. Thank you. Some bars set to face
1: stricter rules. The number of city centre bars where drinkers mostly stand up could be held to stricter licensing policies by the council, it has been revealed. Worcester City Council has recommended it changes its policy to limit the number of vertical drinking establishments looking to open between midnight and 6am. This change is a bid to put a stop to irresponsible drinking and increase alcohol-related crime. Late-night takeaways would also be held to the stricter rules. According to public health figures from last year, there are almost 11 premises selling alcohol per square kilometre in Worcester, and that's nearly 10 times higher than the national average. The Council's review of its licensing policy found that the majority of bars and clubs that had little or no seating were associated with the majority of crime and disorder. Previous data also found that people standing tend to drink more than people sitting down and talking. Takeaways serving food after 11pm also saw a lot of crime and disorder. West Mercia Police had asked for the city's Cumulative Impact Zone, which looks to protect areas which have a high density of licensed bars, restaurants, clubs and takeaways from crime, disorder and antisocial behaviour, to be extended to cover a greater area of the city centre. The council already has a zone which covers most of the city centre. In June, police asked the council to extend the zone to make it simpler and the council's review of its licensing policy found there was little evidence to justify an extension. The proposed zone would have run from... Are you ready for this? ...Castle Street and along the Severn up to Worcester Cathedral along Fish Street, back through City Walls Road, Spring Gardens and St Paul Street, around Lowsmore and up Sanson Walk before rejoining Castle Street through Taylor's Lane. Police said the licensed bars, restaurants, clubs and takeaways in close proximity with each other is clearly linked to an increased level of crime and disorder. Police figures show the number of incidents within the current zone increased 11% between 2016 and 2018. The number of alcohol-related incidents also increased by 35%. The zone plays an important part of the process when the council decides on whether to grant licences. Applying to open a late-night premises within the zone shifts the burden onto the applicant to prove opening it would not contribute towards crime and antisocial behaviour. The Council's Licensing and Environmental Health Committee met on December the 9th to make a decision on whether to agree to an eight-week public
3: consultation on the changes. And this is a, a, a story about um, travellers a city seeing a fall in traveller caravans. There's a picture above it of an illegal traveller camp at King George V playing fields in July last year. Fewer traveller caravans are pitching up in Worcester than a decade ago, figures reveal, all of them on authorised sites. Members of traveller community has have accused Conservative Party of treating them as political footballs for pledging to tackle unauthorised traveller camps, despite a decline in their number across England. Councils carry out a count of traveller caravans in their area twice a year to provide a snapshot of the numbers in permitted and unpermitted spots. It includes those who lived in by gypsies and travellers, as well as non-traditional groups who live in movable homes. Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government data shows that Traveller caravans were counted on all sites in Worcester in July, down from 40 in July 2009. None of them were in unauthorised locations.' The trend in Worcester differed to that across England, where around 23,000 caravans were counted in July, an increase of a third in ten years. But the number on unauthorised sites dropped 17% to 3,082 over the same period. In July 2018, we reported on an unauthorised traveller camp in King George V Playing Fields, Brickfields, The Conservative Party has pledged in its election manifesto to tackle unauthorised traveller camps by giving police new powers to arrest and seize the property and vehicles of trespassers on unauthorised encampments. The document adds, we will make intentional trespass a criminal offence and we will also give councils greater powers within the planning system. The Traveller Movement, a charity that fights discrimination against the gypsy, Roma and Traveller community, said, The national figures show that only a tiny minority of travellers reside on unauthorised land. Why is this government pouring so much money into this issue when it would cost far, far less to provide sites, said Yvonne McNamara, the group's chief executive. While local authorities pump millions annually into removing unauthorised encampments, the other issues facing communities are ignored. This includes high rates of anxiety and suicide, poor health outcomes and school exclusions. Praise for work on anti-bullying.
0: Staff and pupils at a Worcester Preparatory School have received an award for their anti-bullying work. RGS The Grange, one of the two prep schools of RGS Worcester, has been given the Anti-Bullying Quality Mark, a national scheme which measures how good schools are at preventing bullying. It challenges schools to set up effective and sustainable anti-bullying policies and make them part of their everyday life. RGS The Grange began this work 18 months ago. It is the first independent school in the country to achieve the ABQM UK Bronze Award because staff, students, parents and governors demonstrated that anti-bullying is a whole school priority in which they all play an active role. Headmaster Gareth Hughes said, The training of the Anti-Bullying Ambassadors by the Diana Award, an organisation inspired by the work of Diana Princess of Wales in this area, has proved to be so supportive and successful that RGS Worcester, RGS Springfield and RGS Dodderhill are similarly training their pupils to provide this all-important support for their school communities. This will ensure that the ABQM value of securing safety, mental health and well-being for all is truly at the heart of all the RGS Worcester schools.
2: A very small item of news here, it's under the title News in Brief, it's about carol concerts. Two Malvern music leaders will join forces to lead their choirs in two Christmas carol concerts. The first is on Saturday December the 14th at 2.30pm at Holy Trinity Church Malvern Link. Director of Music Charles Pavey will lead Malvern Male Voice Choir with Sabrina Voices as their singing guests. On Monday, December the 23rd at 7.30pm, Tom Wells will lead Sabrina Voices, who return the hospitality to Malvern Male Voice Choir at their concert in Stanbrook Abbey, Callow End.
1: Another article from the News in Brief section of the paper, this time Monday's hospital plea. The county's health bosses have reminded residents to use local minor injury units this winter to help ease the pressure on a and D. Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust is encouraging anyone with a minor injury to attend a minor injury unit rather than visiting A&E, which should only be used in urgent and life-threatening situations. The units can treat a range of minor injuries, including cuts and grazes, sprains, strains, fractures, and minor burns. Several units are located across the county, including Malvern and Evesham, and are open every year. Every year, and are open every day of the year, I guess, including bank holidays. Dr Jules Walton, Divisional Medical Director for Urgent Care at the Acute Trust, said the county's five minor injuries units offer patients convenient, timely, expert medical advice on a wide range of industries, injuries and mean that our A&E colleagues can really focus on treating patients with urgent life-threatening issues. Residents with minor injuries can also visit local pharmacies for help. As qualified healthcare professionals, pharmacists can offer clinical advice and over-the-counter medicines for a range of minor illnesses such as coughs, colds, aches and pains. Many pharmacies offer extended opening hours in the evenings and at weekends. Some are open until midnight or even later, even on public holidays. Many pharmacies also offer extended opening hours in the evenings and at weekends. So, for urgent but non-life-threatening illnesses, the public can contact their GP or alternatively use the NHS 111 line, which is available 24 hours a day. Minor injury units in Malvern and Evesham are open 9am till 9pm every day. For more information, you can get through on, and this is small case letters, hacw.nhs.uk forward slash capital letters, M-I-U.
3: And this is about a a tree, a Christmas tree. Let their tree light in a dark little village. Awful pun. Um, Britain's darkest village is lit up by festive lights after a couple decorated their huge Christmas tree, which they planted as a sapling more than 40 years ago. Avril Rowlands and her husband Christopher put the six-feet fir in their front garden after enjoying their first Christmas at their new home in 1978. The tree has now grown to 52 feet and towers above their four-bedroom detached house in the Worcestershire village of Inkborough. On Sunday, the couple celebrated the monster's fir's 41st anniversary when they switched on the dazzling decorations. The lit-up tree is the only landmark visible in the village, which is one of the darkest places in Britain. Inkborough, where the 17th-century pub is the inspiration for the bull in Radio 4 series The Archers, is one of a handful of places which doesn't have any streetlights. As a result, the giant tree can be seen from a mile away at night. Retired TV writer Mrs Rowlands said... The switch-on event has become an absolute institution for the village and we have hundreds of people to see the tree. We even had tourists coming from as far as China to have their pictures taken by the tree. Because of the village's status as one of the darkest places in the country, when the tree is lit up, it really becomes a beacon of light. The couple moved to the quiet village in the summer of 1978 after selling their home in London. Mrs Rowland said it's amazing to think that the tree started as a six feet tall sapling, which we bought for just six pounds. I remember after that first Christmas thinking to myself that I didn't want to just throw the tree out, so I planted it in the front garden. It took straight away and every year it's just grown taller and taller. It now takes 1,100 to light the tree and I don't look at the electricity bill until after Christmas.
0: I think it's time for another Christmas-themed story, and this one is headlined Santa's Paint City Red. Hundreds of Santas turned Worcester red to raise vital funds for one of the city's hospices. This year's Santa Dash saw around 230 people and their pets brave blustery conditions to raise at least £4,500 for St. Richard's Hospice. That figure, set to rise, is enough to pay for a nurse specialist at the hospice in Wildwood Drive for a whole month or a family support counsellor for two months. Once sponsorship comes in for the event, which had more entries this year than last, Sunday's two-mile dash could raise as much as £10,000. Fundraiser Jane Sargent described the turnout as fantastic and said the family-friendly event drew in entries of all ages, with some people opting to run it and others to jog or walk it. The Dash started with Christmas songs and a warm-up at the car park at Worcestershire County Cricket Club and finished at South Quay with medals and mince pies. The Hooter had to compete with the sound of the cathedral bells as the Santas began their riverside run. It is the second year the Dash has started at the Cricket Club, which has supported the event, together with Worcester Lions Club, which provi- provided a Santa sleigh. The support of Worcester City Council and Foley's Cafe has also been key. And first Santa across the line was 36-year-old Kevin Wilson of Blackpole Worcester. And the um, article is accompanied by lots of lovely photographs of all the competitors in their Santa costumes and their accompanying dogs. And it's a very festive-looking scene.
2: Um, This is a story about women on a night march. Activists marched through the city centre blowing green trumpets and whistles to reclaim the night. Around 50 protesters attended the rally to raise awareness of violence against women, but also to highlight the importance of everyone feeling safe when outside at night. The march organised by the Worcester Community Trust, started at 6.30pm and went on until 8pm last Thursday. People of all ages came together to raise awareness about reclaiming the night. Ruth Hayward, the CEO at Worcester Community Trust, said, The local Worcestershire community demonstrated a real sense of solidarity and really did reclaim the night. The work we do with women suffering domestic violence is so important and events such as this really highlight the need for it. Half of all women will experience domestic violence, sexual assault or stalking during their lifetime, yet just 3.3% of all cases of rape end in a conviction. In Worcestershire alone, police recorded 1,186 sexual offences in 2015-2016, to which was an increase of 27% on the previous year's figures. These shocking statistics inspired Worcester Community Trust's DAWN project to organise the march. The DAWN project supports women who are or have been in an abusive relationship and aims to give them the emotional aid they need to regain their self-confidence. The women behind the project, funded through the South Worcestershire Community Safety Partnership, want three things to come from the march. First of all, to take the onus off women when assault causes cases are reported. They say victim-blaming causes women to feel responsible for their own safety on the streets. Secondly, they want to break the silence. 42% of victims don't tell anyone, so activists want to normalise talking about these experiences to encourage other sufferers to come forward. And thirdly, the, the third goal is to call on authorities to take action and to work to tackle street harassment across the UK.
1: And this from Friday's newspaper. Police officers won't face disciplinary action. A police officer who called a woman an attention seeker and a Christmas turkey while she tried to allegedly self-harm in her custody cell will not face any disciplinary action. Police Constable Ashley Bloor was accused of holding his knee down on an unnamed woman's leg for four minutes when restraining her at Worcester Police Station in the early hours of December fifteenth, two 2017. P.C. Blore was also accused of calling the woman an attention seeker and a damsel in distress in front of colleagues and saying Merry Christmas everybody, there's your Christmas turkey, while she tried to tie jogging bottoms and a dressing gown around her neck. David Time, chair of the disciplinary panel, said P.C. Blore's comments were not offensive or derogatory and his behaviour was not found to have constituted gross misconduct. He said PC Bull's damsel-in-distress comment was spontaneous, and his use of force was justified and necessary. He said the officer's turkey comment was not about her looks. Sergeant Lloyd Buffery will also face no disciplinary action for allowing male officers to be present when they removed the woman's bra and tracksuit bottoms. Both police officers were cleared at a disciplinary panel meeting at West Mercia Police Headquarters at Hindlip, heard on Thursday, December 5th. The unnamed woman had been arrested for assaulting her partner at home, and later charged with kicking two police officers and spitting at another. In closing, Ian Bridge, representing Sergeant Buffery, said the police officer was concerned by the mere presence of male officers in front of the woman. (coughs) Due to a lack of female officers present to deal with the woman, Mr. Bridge said Sergeant Buffery had done the best he could with the tools that were available to him and had listened to the advice of the female officers. Sergeant Buffery admitted he had told officers to remove the woman's bra, but did not agree to officers removing her tracksuit bottoms. Mr. Bridge said Sergeant Buffery, who was due to retire next year, had been commended three times and was honest and trustworthy. Colin Bannum, representing PC Bloor, said the police officer was not proud of his comments and was only trying to lighten the mood. He said the need to use force was abundantly plain. Cecily White, representing West Mercia Police, asked PC Bloor why he was able to write in his notebook twice while still kneeling on the woman if he was so concerned that she be- could become violent at any moment. Ms White said PC Bloor's comments were plainly disrespectful.
3: And now, a piece about Worcester Lions Club, which celebrates its 50th anniversary, with a special celebration at Worcestershire Cricket Club. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Al Ditter and his wife, Nazim Akhtar, recently joined Worcester Lions Club members, as well as other Lions Club's representatives from around the country and other dignitaries, at the Graham Hick Pavilion to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Worcester Club's charter being presented. Over the years, the club's provided service to numerous organisations and good causes around the city. It is probably best known for its grant scheme that runs twice yearly in partnership with the Worcester News. The club is also known for its Christmas sleigh that tours the city during the run-up to Christmas with the majority of the money raised going towards the grant scheme funding. The duck races held in Gellivalt Park during the St George's Day celebrations and the Worcester Show are also organised and run by members of the Worcester Club. In 1972, the club twinned with the French orleans Doyen leon Club and for many years the members of the two clubs held exchange visits and funded joint projects. Jeff Lewis from Worcester Lions Club said, Through the Lions Club's International Foundation, the club has helped fund both national and international disaster appeals. Club members have hosted other young people attending youth camps. Another youth project that the club is involved with involves, involves students that attend New College Worcester Lions Club are always in need of Loom members to enable them to carry on the work of organising events and providing direct support to individuals, groups and good causes in our community. For more details about Worcester Lions Club, visit worcesterlionsclub.org.uk or email worcester at lions 105 morguk
0: New Guide to County. Two award-winning journalists have penned a new travel guide showcasing the very best of Worcestershire. Chris and Theresa Green, who run Worcester-based media consultancy Chris Green Media, were commissioned to write Welcome to Worcestershire by Kingfisher Guides. The hardback book will be placed in hotels across the county to inspire visitors to make the most of their stay in the region. Chapters cover Worcestershire's history, tourist attractions, shopping, nightlife, sport, arts and culture, eating out, and surrounding areas of interest, including Shakespeare Country, Herefordshire and Birmingham. Teresa Green, a former sports and travel writer who's lived in the county for more than 30 years, said, Writing this book during an English summer was a real treat. There are so many fascinating places to explore on our doorstep, from the lush Malvern Hills to New Road, the world's most picturesque cricket ground. Experienced author and former Radio 5 Live and Radio 4 broadcaster Chris Green, who was born and bred in Worcester, added, As a Worcestershire Ambassador Board Member, I'm proud to promote the county as a great place to live, work and spend leisure time. Being involved with Welcome to Worcestershire has confirmed just how much residents and businesses have to shout about.
2: Right, well, after that interesting article, here's another article discussing um, views on Worcester, and this one's slightly more controversial. An opinion article by a Worcester News reporter has sparked a conversation about drug abuse in Worcester. In Monday's Worcester News... That's last week. No, this Monday's just gone. Uh, court reporter James Connell wrote of how an increase in homelessness and aggressive begging, drunkenness, and drug abuse were ruining the beauty of the city. In response, Ross Nielsen said, It's not the problem of drugs, it's that it's completely underfunded, divided and overpopulated. Half of the city is stuck in the 70s, and the other half is just a few tarted up buildings turned into popular eateries. The council will paint a few buildings and then call it a day. It needs far more services and places for the neediest, such as addicts and the homeless. However, Russell Haywood said... Most of the homeless people are addicts, that's why they rough sleep, as no shelters allow drugs or alcohol in them and people under, or people under the influence. Nobody forced them to take the stuff, so I have not much sympathy for them, to be honest, having seen what they do when housed. Sue Purcell said, 13 years ago is just the time we moved here from Bristol, which was getting unsafe to walk about on your own there. There were drugs, problems everywhere, traffic, horrendous buildings, vast amounts of houses, but no extra doctors and hospitals, and Bristol was sinking under the weight of so many needy people. Ring any bells? Oh yes, it sounds just like Worcester now. Samantha Bailey, on the other hand, said, The grass is no greener on the other side. Worcester isn't any different to every other city. Symore said, Worcester City is stunning. Yes, it's true it does have its bleak parts, but doesn't every city all over the world? Worcester is beautiful. There aren't many cities in the West Midlands that have a wonderfully historic cathedral on a hill with amazing green views in every direction, a gorgeous meandering river with more swans than I've seen anywhere else. Jamie Arnold, it's the lack of taking responsibility for their own actions that lands people in this mess. Right, Okay. Um,
1: Dad barred from pub. A dad has been barred from a pub after he claims he made a complaint over being asked to move tables during lunch with his family. Michael Ostrovsky from Warnden claims he was asked to move tables while eating his meal at Bluebell Farm because the table was reserved for other customers. However, he claims there was no sign on the table suggesting that it was reserved. He made a complaint to the pub in Hornhill Road and then was told he was banned from it. Mr Ostrowski, aged 41, said what upsets me was the reply to my complaint. It's unacceptable. I feel angry. It's unfair treatment against me. This meant we lost a nice family lunch and the kids were unhappy and they didn't understand why we had to leave. It's the first time I've been barred. I shouldn't have been treated like that. I was not abusive. I hadn't been drinking as we had the kids with us and we left the premises quietly.' Mr Ostrovsky claims he lost nearly £70 as the family decided to leave part way through the meal after being asked to move. He said he was offered another table, however it was on the opposite side of the pub. We didn't want to move over there during our meal. The kids were playing in the children's playing area and they were confused. Nigel Anderton, business development manager, replied to Mr Ostrovsky's complaint over email. He said... Having thoroughly investigated this matter, I am satisfied that issues of this nature are most appropriately decided at local level by the licensee, who, in this instance, confirms that you are barred from the premises and will not be permitted to enter the Bluebell Farm in Worcester in future. Subject to not discriminating against customers on grounds of race, sex or disability, a licensee has total discretion over who is allowed to enter the premises and who is asked to leave. We do not intend to discuss the issue further or make any additional comments in this respect. Mr Ostrovsky and his family visited the Worcester pub on September 28th. He made the complaint on September the 30th and, complained and claims that he received the response from Mr Anderson on November the 9th. The Worcester News contacted Bluebell Farm for a comment. However, it did not
3: respond before going to print. And this is about what you will eat on Christmas Day. I don't know what you want, but a quarter of Brits prefer curry. It says so in the Worcester News. It may be hard to imagine Christmas Day without turkey and all the trimmings, but nearly a quarter of Brits, 23%, would rather eat a curry on the big day, according to research released today. The research from Subway supports the launch of its new festive menu designed to give guests the freedom to enjoy what they really want this Christmas. The research found that 11.5 million Brits don't enjoy the traditional Christmas roast, with over a third, 36%, saying they'd rather eat something totally non-traditional. Nearly a quarter of us, 24%, regularly complain that turkey is dry, and a third percent would prefer our dinner served with roast chicken. 35 percent, or beef, 24 percent. An astounding 23 percent of us admitted that we'd rather tuck into a curry on the big day, with other popular alternatives including steak, 18 percent, pizza, 18 percent, and Chinese, 13 percent. Traditional pigs in blankets may also be facing extinction, with a fifth, 21 percent, of general Zed choosing to give them a miss this year. According to the independent spokesman, psychologist Greg Tucker, many more of us may prefer to skip the traditional Christmas roast, but feel the need to persevere in order to get into the festive spirit.
0: I promise you, she does not make these stories up. This is a nice feel-good story about a golden wedding delight for couple. A couple who met through mutual friends are celebrating their golden wedding. Joy Borton, 73, and David Borton, also 73, first met when they lived in Worcester, but now live in Kemsey. Courting lasted around four years before David popped the question at the Jockey Inn in the village of Earl's Croom. He had asked for his sweetheart's hand in marriage earlier during their courtship, but Joy felt she was not quite ready for the big leap, being in her early 20s at the time. But she was sure he was the one from the moment they first met. When the time was right, she dropped hints to David and she said yes when he asked, although he did not go down on bended knee. They married at St George's Catholic Church in Sansom Place, Worcester, followed by a two-week honeymoon in Paynton, Devon, which they thoroughly enjoyed. Mr Borton said, The secret to a happy marriage is when you are both independent but also enjoy spending time together. It's something you have to work on and not take for granted. Mrs Borton said, We've always talked about any issues we've had. It's important not to let anything fester, which is something we've never done over 50 years. Don't go to bed in a mood with one another. Sort it out before you sleep. Family members will celebrate with them in the next couple of days and they have two children, James and Lydia, and two grandchildren.
2: And I hope they have a lovely celebration. Right. Well, congratulations to them. Now, here's what I think is probably quite a customary, cautionary article about Christmas after the story about curry. Beware of the hazards of Christmas celebrations, especially at home. During the festive period, more than 80,000 people a year need hospital treatment. The common causes are cuts, falls and burns, often resulting in a trip to a and D. It's normally the case that because your home is likely to be full of friends and family enjoying the Christmas festivities, accidents can more easily happen. But with a little care and forward planning, most accidents can be avoided the kitchen is the most dangerous place to be with hot fat boiling water and sharp knives being the main danger so keep children out of the kitchen until cooking is finished and ensure that any spills are wiped up stairs are also a danger area and should be kept free of obstacles especially if you have elderly guests who may require the upstairs bathroom even the pleasant tradition of opening presents Decorations, fairy lights and Christmas tree all carry their own dangers, with stabbing and cutting fingers while opening presents being top of the list. Statistics show that more than a thousand people are injured by falling off a chair or ladder when putting up the decorations or decorating the tree. It's a fact that 350 people suffer an electric shock when erecting Christmas lights and it's not uncommon to hear of young children swallowing light bulbs and even eating broken baubles, so do not leave young children unattended. Stress, mistletoe or holly berry poisoning, eating warmed up meats and rich food tummy are also possible. However, the chief mischief maker when it comes to accidents in the home is alcohol. Finally, another frightening statistic states that 50% more people are seriously injured or even die in house fires over this period due to exposed or unattended candles. Let us all take extra care and have a safe, happy and healthy Christmas. But if necessary, please call NHS 111 for advice and not 999 unless urgent.
1: Right. Children without homes scandal. Dozens of children have been left homeless and living in temporary accommodation in Worcester, figures reveal. There were 51 children homeless and living in temporary accommodation in Worcester at the end of March, according to figures from the Ministry of Housing, as well as communities and local government data. The analysis was done by housing charity Shelter, which estimates a child was made homeless every eight minutes across Britain last year, with many staying in cold and cramped spaces and uprooted from friends. A City Council spokesman said... Families with children become homeless for a wide variety of reasons, often to do with changes in the circumstances or problems with their accommodation. When families who are at risk of homelessness approach us, our specialist housing service works with them to try to find ways for them to remain in their current accommodation. If that's not possible, our statutory duty to house any any families with dependent children comes into play. We have recently taken on the management of four family houses to support this important work. We aim for no family to be in bed and breakfast accommodation for more than six weeks. Across the West Midlands, the figure stood at 7,400. The charity's analysis suggests that around 4,900 young people across the region became homeless during 2018 and nineteen. That's equivalent to 14 every day. Across Britain, 183 children per day become homeless, enough to fill more than two double-decker buses, and almost 67,000 over the year. If the rate remains the same this month, around 4,600 more children will lose their home between the start of December and Christmas Day. Polly Neat, chief executive of Shelter, said the scandalous figure is a reminder that political promises about tackling homelessness must be turned into real action. Day in, day out, we see the devastating impact the housing emergency is having on children across the country. They are being uprooted from friends, living in coal-cramped B&Bs and going to bed at night scared by the sound of strangers outside. Every child has the right to a safe home and if we act now, we can help get them to a better
3: place. And now here's a scam warning over new bogus calls from Amazon. Worcestershire residents have received bogus calls from people who say they work at Amazon, threatening to take money from their bank account. Police say the calls are a scam and advise people never to give out bank details. They also say to hang up and wait for 10 minutes to ensure that <coughs> excuse me, the call has been disconnected before calling the police on 101. Officers say... Also, have a, um, I'll start that again, officers say, have advised residents to remind elderly residents, neighbours, customers and friends about these scam calls and not to give anyone their bank details over the phone. A spokesman said, don't trust anyone who calls you about your bank details. The latest scam phone calls were experienced by residents in Kidderminster fraud can also be reported to fraud specialists via the action fraud contact center by calling 0300 123
0: 2040 thank you
3: jane that concludes
0: the general news stories for this week and we will move on to uh sports items now and i'll start with a well a story about the potential um relocation sites for Worcester City Football Club and the story is headlined Trust's Optimism Over Return to City. The potential is very high for City, that's Worcester City Football Club, to be playing back in Worcester next season with club chiefs running the rule over ground share alternatives. City addressed supporters at the end of last month presenting the options of a possible move to Six Ways, which involves takeover by Warriors owners Colin Goldring and Jason Whittingham, or renting a redeveloped Clane's Lane under the current ownership model. The Six Ways option was openly scotched by Goldring in a recent interview with Worcester News, but city bosses are trying to rekindle talks. Clane's Lane was supposed to be completed and able to host Step 6 Football, the level below cities, by September. But landowners Worcestershire FA have now asked Worcester City Council for a £750,000 loan to complete the project. The extra work required to bring the ground up to standard to host city matches would have to be funded and grants accessed by the club. Top brass remain tight-lipped on their preferred options, but Worcester City supporters trust chairman and club director Dave Wood reckons it is possible to bring about a return to Worcester by the summer of 2020 under the right circumstances. Mm.
2: Right, and here's a rugby story. Worcester Warriors' lock Anton Bressler has become the latest player to commit his future to the club by signing a contract extension. Bresler has become a crowd favourite since he arrived at Six Ways from Edinburgh two years ago as a key line-out jumper, ferocious tackler and aggressive ball carrier. I've really enjoyed my time here. I've fitted in easily, I get along with the coaching staff and I just enjoy everything about Worcester as a city and as a club, Bresler said. I think we're going places and I want to be part of something big. There's definitely potential for us to become not only a top six club, but if we stick to our processes and our plan, we can do even better than that. Bresler, who's 31, was born in Namibia and played super rugby and curry cup rugby for Sharks in South Africa before he joined Edinburgh, where he first worked with Alan Solomons, now Warriors Director of Rugby. I've worked with Solly since 2014, so I know what he expects from his players. It's easy for me to fit into that plan, Bresler said. Bressler is the sixth member of the current Warriors squad and fifth forward to sign a contract extension in the past week following Ted Hill, Andrew Kitchener, François Vonté, Nick Schoenert and Sam Lewis. Bressy has made a huge impact here at Six Ways and it's great news for the club that he's staying on with us, Solomon said. He's a superb lock with a huge physical presence, and he's become a central figure in our team. He's a quality bloke and a great team man who adds huge value. I'm really looking forward to continuing working with him.
1: Cricket now, a bit out of season, but there you go. Moeen, mystery this one's headed. Moeen, Alley, Moeen Alley's England exile was stretched into 2020, with national selector Ed Smith admitting that he does not know if the all-rounder will return to the international arena. England named a 17-man squad for the four-match test series in South Africa, which starts on Boxing Day. But Moeen, 32, was not involved again. Just weeks after England captain Joe Root hinted he was in contention for a test recall by saying he adds a different dimension when firing on all cylinders. Moeen was granted an indefinite sabbatical from test cricket shortly after being dropped from the Ashes squad following a torrid time in the Edgbaston opener and has since lost his Red Bull contract. At the time of his axing, Moeen was the world's leading test wicket-taker over the previous 12 months, but Jack Leach has now taken over the mantle of England's leading spinner. We've had to make plans for this tour without Mo, Smith said. In an ideal world, we would like Mo to be available, but we have to deal with the situation as it is. We respect that and hope that he will return to be available sooner rather than later. At this stage, we don't know when he will return to being available for Test cricket. It's my hope that he does return to being available. We all know he is a talented and valued cricketer. Smith, however, said that Moeen remains committed to playing for England. When I spoke with Mo, I was keen to talk about cricket issues, find out where he was with his game, he said. He did say he thought there were more test runs, and more test wickets in him. That was encouraging, and it's what we believe. We'll be keeping in regular touch with Mo in the next few weeks and months. At the moment, there's no time frame, but from my point of view, and the selector's point of view, the sooner he's available, the better. Moeen will play for Moulthana's Sultans in the 2020 Pakistan Super League from February, and then Royal Challengers Bangalore in the Indian Premier League from April. He had a spell in the Mzansi Super League for Cape Town Blitz before playing for Team Abu Dhabi in the T10 League.
3: And now boxing. Medal joy for City Amateur Fighters. Worcester City Amateur Boxing Club came away with two gold medals and two silvers from the Riviera Box Cup in Torquay. Welterweight Pat Morgan was up against Jai Costa Green of White Hart Lane ABC in the semi-finals. Morgan felt the power of a Londoner on several occasions with hard left hooks rocking the city fighter. He started to settle in the second and outboxed green. A close contest saw Morgan through on a split decision to the final, where he faced Carl Pompery of Mayflower ABC. Both had similar boxing styles, although Morgan always seemed to come out better during each each exchange. To top up a solid performance, he gave Pompery a standing count in the third after a series of hard combinations. A unanimous decision gave Morgan the gold medal. Junior Tyler Bryce boxed Kevin Mackay in the final and, despite his best efforts, lost on a split decision. To Bryce's credit... He had been unwell during the week but was determined to box. His punches lacked sharpness which was a telling factor in the defeat. Junior, James scarrett also picked up a silver medal after losing to Liam McCluskey of Torbay ABC on a split decision. McCluskey's southpaw style and counter-punching skills just gave him the edge in a close contest. Junior, Ryan Jones, was awarded gold after his opponent failed to turn up for the final. Jones was looking forward to showcasing his skills after a run of impressive performances, but had a walkover.
0: Well, that concludes the sports stories for this week. And before Jane does the thought for the week, I'm just going to give you the sunrise and sunset times. So today the sun rose at 8.02 a.m. and it set at 3.57 p.m. So I hope that's helpful. Jane, if you would like to do thought for the
3: week, and then I will do the birthday file. This is from Isaiah, verses 2 and 6. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and a government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counsellor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Thank you, Jane. Well, This
0: is our last recording for the year. Um, There will be a break of two weeks. And so I have a lot of birthdays to read out. So keep your ears pinned. Wouldn't want to miss yours. Starting with December the 14th, a happy birthday to Deborah Fryer. And on the 15th, it's Charles Hooper's birthday. 17th of December, happy birthday to John Denny. And two days later, on the 19th, Robert Hayes and Mandy Atkinson will both be celebrating. Birthdays over the Christmas break and the New Year. On the 23rd, it's Mary Lazenbury's birthday. On Christmas Eve, the 24th, Vera Keenan celebrates. And then on Boxing Day, Pete Stacey. I always feel sorry for people with birthdays around Christmas, so I hope you have an extra specially happy one, you three. On the 27th, it's Lynette Williams' birthday. And finally, on the 29th, it's Barry Herds. I will also include, in fact, um, Sylvia Day, whose birthday is on the 1st of January, and Anne Hill, who also celebrates on the 1st of January, and Roger Pratt on the 2nd of January, as uh, the next recording won't go out until the 2nd of January. So you will have had your birthdays by the time you receive the next recording. So to all of you, May we wish you very happy birthday and hope that you manage to celebrate despite the big event of Christmas happening sort of in the middle. And I know how you feel because I'm a January birthday and it's, it's not great, is it? Anyway, that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'll just remind you again, it's the last one of the year. There will be no recordings for the next two weeks. So uh, you'll get your next edition of The Talking Newspapers on the sec- well, from the 2nd of January. I'd like to thank tonight's readers, Catherine, Phil and Jane and the production team, so particularly Nigel on the other side of the screen doing the engineering role. And it's a goodbye from us all, so goodbye from Nigel, from Catherine.
3: Goodbye, Phil.
0: Goodbye. Goodbye. And from me, Pippa. Happy Christmas and a happy new year to you all.
2: Anne Evans, née Rosser, passed away peacefully on November the 7th, 2019, aged 74 years. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, December the 13th at 1.45pm. Flowers or donations if desired for Worcestershire Animal Rescue Shelter may be sent to EJ Gummery and Son sixty eight seventy Ombersley Road Worcester WR three seven EU. A collection plate will also be available at the crematorium. Nicholas Stephen Pete passed away suddenly at home on november twenty third, twenty nineteen, aged 56 years. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, December 13th at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for Acorns Children's Hospice Trust may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to EJ Gummery & Son, 68-70 to Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Margaret Irene Alsop passed away unexpectedly on november twenty sixth, twenty nineteen. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, december eighteenth at ten AM. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for the British Heart Foundation may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to EJ Gummery and Son sixty eight seventy Ombersley Road. Worcester WR37EU. Peter Dadswell of Kinsham, Breeden and Dadswell Windows died on December 1st, 2019 and the funeral mass at St Bennet's, Kemerton took place on Thursday, December 12th. Donations, if desired, for Martin House Children's Hospice may be sent to E. Hill & Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw WR101HZ. Reverend Frederick Joseph Gilbert of Peopleton died on October ninth, 2019, peacefully at his home, aged 90 years. There will be a requiem mass at St. Nicholas Church, Peopleton on Friday, December 20th at 1pm. No flowers by request. Donations for St. Nicholas Church, Peopleton may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors Pershaw WR101HZ. Richard Lewis, known as Louis, a retired farmer of Lye, died on passed away surrounded by his family on November the 26th 2019 aged 71 the funeral service will be at St Edburger Lye on Thursday, oh actually it's been today, it has been today on Thursday December the 12th no flowers but donations if wished to Worcestershire MND or to Fort Royal Community School
1: Roger Frank Randall passed away peacefully on november the twenty seventh. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium this coming Monday at twelve fifteen. Flowers, or donations for New College Worcester, may be sent to care of Bedwardine Funeral Services Worcester, and the phone number is O one nine O five seven four double eight double one. Geoffrey James Amphlet, known as Jeff, passed away peacefully on the third of December the funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 19th of December at 12.15. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and & Son and that's 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. The Reverend Frederick Joseph Gilbert of Peopleton died on December the 9th The Requiem Mass will be at St. Nicholas Church, Pupilton on Friday, December 20th at 1pm. No flowers by request. Donations for St. Nicholas Church, Pupilton may be sent to E. Hill & Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw wr ten one hz Derek Hugh Longdon passed away peacefully on November 29th. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, December 18th at 12.15. Family flowers only, please, with donations to the RNLI or Midland Air Ambulance. Sent, care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT. David Kenneth Marchant passed away peacefully on December 6th. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday at 3:15. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St. Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E. J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. And when I said Thursday, I meant obviously December the 19th.